the, I would say about March of 2020, let's call it March of 2020, we suddenly the world changed. Um, we went into a lockdown. We were doing a lot of different things. Many of us uh, lost our jobs. Some of us uh, were able to sort of pivot with what we were doing, uh, perfected the baking of banana bread, maybe, per, you know, doing things with uh, pineapples and trying to conjure up some beer and perfecting that. But for many people, the lockdown um, spelled something quite different and um, a book that I'm busy reading at the moment um, we're going to be chatting to the author John Sane and I've got him on the phone John good morning welcome back to Helderberg FM it's great to chat to you again Thank you so much. Wonderful to be with you again and always happy to hear that somebody's reading one of my books. So thank you so much for that. No, no, it's a huge pleasure. And um, I, I just want to say off the bat that I think everybody should be reading it, no matter what their experience was of lockdown or the pandemic. Um, everybody should be reading this book. Now, I... There's a paragraph, uh, I'm going to be asking you a question shortly, but um, in the synopsis that I received, there is a paragraph that reads, John, I'm exhausted. I barely have energy to change my socks. Never mind, reimagine a new life for me or my family. I've been working around the clock for less money to keep my job. Everyone wants something from me. And you know what, pal, I'm depleted. I have nothing left to give. When I read that, I, there was, I thought, oh my goodness, it could have been me saying that. Why did you write this book? You know, um, everybody seems to be exhausted, frustrated, angry, and anxious. Mm -hmm. And I wrote this book because everywhere I go in the world, I pretty much get the same response, is that people are not willing to step up mm. and do the work to meet the future and what it needs. They are still doing what they've always done and exhausted from the process. And because of that, aren't able to lift their heads to try and figure out what's next. And the book is really about saying, look, we're all in the same boat together. We're all exhausted. We're all at the end of this massive cycle, which I talk about in the book. But yeah. it really becomes our responsibility to start to heal our past, to mourn our sorrows courageously, and to move on and to start to re calibrate our skill sets for what mm. the world requires from us in the future. There seems to be a blanket victim mindset in the world of saying, poor me, mm. me, this is happening to me. And, and, you know, I was also stuck there, and I share this in the book, but that's why I started writing the book is because I wanted to share with people how I got out of my sort of loop of yeah. thinking and feeling like that. Now, that's the first part of the book. Um, you talk about your experience um, with with that, and you, you call that part the part, first part of the book, your book anguish. And when I read it, I'm going to be very honest with you. I went, really? That was your experience? And then when as I was reading it, I thought to myself, but wait a minute, Vanessa. Not everybody um, had a safe little bubble at home. I was lucky enough to have my family around us, around me at home. Um, I didn't have to stress about them. Um, we, we, we created a life for ourselves um, through lockdown, um, you know, and, and I really don't joke, but it was banana bread and sourdough bread and all that sort of thing. And, and we had this nice little bubble. But for you, it was something completely opposite. Tell us you know, more. You know, from, 
Yeah, look, I, I, I was also in a fantastic bubble, I've got to say. I was with my parents on a farm in, in Popo, up in the mountains. So we had all the freedom, banana bread and sourdough bread that we could stomach. Yeah. But what had happened for me is that my career of moving around the world was all of a sudden shut down. Mm. All the income that I was earning was shut down. The feedback that I would get from audiences around the world sharing my work was gone. I was, and I share this in the book, I was changing my bed sheets with my mother at 45 years old. <laughs> and I, it dawned on me that I was living this life that I never, ever dreamed for myself to be stuck here as an adult male with my parents in their yeah. home. And, and, and it was, it was a, it, it, I mean, I had pockets of sort of enjoying the bubble with my parents because, I mean, it's a luxurious time to spend six months with your parents. Yeah. But also the, 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 the deep sorrow of losing my hard-earned life as well as having mm-hmm. to mourn my future memories. All my future projections, intentions, and goals all of a sudden were taken away from me. And so I wanted to share with people that it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be depressed. And it's, it's a bad thing for us to try and avoid these sort of things. And yeah. I think as a society, we do everything we can to avoid sadness. And I think that's a very, very dangerous thing to do because it's easier to be angry than it is to be sad. Mm. And so what we see is the world that's super angry but just hasn't processed any sadness and sorrow. So I wanted to share with the reader that, look, this is how I went through a, through the process of processing my depression and sadness that yeah. I went through. It is, it's a very heartfelt, and, and, and I acknowledge that, and I thank you for it, because it also made me sort of look at um, things that I had lost that I'd potentially just sort of shoved aside because I didn't want to deal with it. But now the thing is, is that, you know, we're, we're now at a point where COVID has effectively sort of moved into the background, but it was a, a monumental shift in the world, something that none of us had ever experienced. And many of us are going, but we want to go back to the way it was. But you're, you're saying, no, it's changed forever. Give us, you talk about um, possibilism because a lot of people say, no, just be optimistic. Things are going to go back. But you talk about this great word, possibilism, and, I, and being a possibilist. But how do we do that in the way the world has changed? Well, you know, we are moving into a very strange new world. We have the advent of artificial intelligence, blockchain, mm. and all these sort of things that are on the horizon. They don't quite make any sense at the moment, uh, but they will in over the next few years. And what we have to also realize, another part of the strangeness is the collapse and demise of all the structures around us that we once implicitly trusted. Mm. And if you think about politics, uh, the, the monetary system, education, and even religion in many parts of the world has lost meaning for many people. Yeah. And so we have this demise of the old world plus the advent of artificial intelligence coming. And what we start to realize now, there's a panic that the familiarity is gone and a double panic because the new world doesn't make, us, doesn't make that much sense to us. Yeah. So what I'm trying to explain here is that because we're all in this boat together, it becomes our job to expose ourselves to this future as mm. often as possible so that it becomes language that we become comfortable with. They become topics that make sense to us after a short period of time. Yeah. And at the very same time, becoming okay with leaving the shore familiarity, leaving the 
the comfort zones that we once had and sometimes mm. even leaving the identity that you worked so hard to create because of the technological advances, because of the financial constraints that are happening around the world, we are all having to evolve at a massive rate. And so it becomes our incredible privilege of choice of how we want to go about doing this. Absolutely. And I and I must say, um, I mentioned to you off air that uh, that section of the book I have reread many times because and I'm going to read it again because there's certain things, concepts that I actually cannot grasp. But I but there's a part of me saying that I need to understand it because you can't just, you know, if it's changed, um, you can't just sort of say, well, that doesn't apply to me because it applies to all of us. And are you is discomfort the thing that we need to become comfortable with does that need to become the friend yes exactly (laughs) so as human beings what we always seek is more comfort Mm. you know we make more money to bring about more convenience into our lives we we become more civilized because we want to create more convenience and seamless services around us and we've been exceptional doing that as human beings you know i always laugh because a hot shower in the mornings for me is the height of civilization right hot water brought to you to change your mood and But in this time of change, seeking comfort is very dangerous. Mm. Seeking comfort zones is very dangerous. And I talk about something called the dopamine reward prediction error in the book. And this is Stanford University telling us that what we've done is we've designed a society, an educational system, a corporational system, an organizational system that only celebrates outcomes. Mm. And this is a problem that our neuroscience needs to be retweaked for us to realize that because we don't have any certainty ahead of us, we can't only be waiting for certainty and outcomes to celebrate, which means we don't release dopamine inside our heads through the struggle. And in this time of change, seeking discomfort, celebrating the struggle, the process and the effort becomes a superpower. Because in the space of celebrating struggle, you look forward to learning new things. Mm. You look forward to unwinding and unlearning aspects of your head and your brain and your thought process because you understand that the future requires a different version of myself. And that's why the book is called Who Do I Become or Who Do You Become? Because that's really what we need to be doing is asking ourselves, how do I meet this future at what it needs from me instead of complaining that it's moving at such a pace? Absolutely. I'm chatting to John Sanai. He is the author of Who Do We Become? John, the I can chat to you for a very long time um, because this book really opened my eyes in terms of that, um, of how the world has changed and, and things like that. Now, it, it sounds like quite daunting, but the final chapter of the, or the final part of the book um, is called adventure is there is there is there light at the end of this tunnel of discomfort is there a toolkit that you give us to help us through to navigate these changes absolutely and i think we always have to leave every sort of hero's journey on an optimistic viewpoint Mm. but remember that the hero has to do a lot of work has to evolve at a pace to be able to meet this challenge. And if I just give you a quick synopsis, is that in agricultural times, our bodies, our brawn, and our muscles were our most important asset as human beings to work the fields for 16 hours a day. When the Industrial Revolution arrived, factories replaced our bodies, and we had to learn something new called knowledge, left-brain process-driven thinking and IQ. Mm-hmm. Now that we're moving into the quantum artificial intelligence age, we realize that just like factories replaced our bodies, artificial intelligence is replacing our intelligence. And so we have to start developing a new skill, and the skill I call in 
intuition. Mm. And intuition, most people will think to me and say, well, I can't pay rent with my intuition, John. What are you talking about? <laughs> but the truth is, is that when everything is commoditized around you and technology has made pretty much every service and product free around us, and people always scoff at that. But remember that when we used to pay for photos and movies, yes. entertainment and education, we don't mm. pay for those things anymore. Mm. And this will now become pervasive into every touch point of our lives from transportation to energy to everything that technology will touch will move us into a world where every rudimentary product and service will be looked after at almost zero cost, which means that as human beings being analytical and process-driven, won't add any value to the world. Mm. So what is intuition made up of? And this really is the sort of equation that I want to share. And if adults listening to this think it's hard to do, think about your kids. Yeah. Because what your kids are learning at school are not going to be relevant in the future. And what they need to be learning is this idea of intuition. And intuition is made up of five things very quickly. Wisdom. Wisdom is having memories with no triggers. As Alan Watts says, is the knowledgeable man has to learn something new every day, but the wise man has to unlearn something new every day. Mm. And it's in the healing of our past that makes us wise to have proper intuitive decision-making powers. Mm -hmm. The second point is focusing on fascination, excitement, and curiosity for your decision-making process. The Industrial Revolution asked us to fit in. This quantum age is going to ask us to fit out. Our uniqueness will become our currency in the future. Three, imagination. Mm. As humanity, we haven't ever celebrated imagination. In fact, UNESCO's future literacy program called this mega trend that we're going through a poverty in reimagination. Humanity suffering from an inability to imagine what's next, so desperate to hold on to familiarity that we haven't even switched on our imagination. Four, experimentation. How are we experimenting to bring about thinking into doing so that we can experiment to see what works and what doesn't? And finally, meditation. Because mm. if you're not meditating, you're not giving the neuroscience in the brain an inability to move from high beta, which is analytical, to alpha, which is creative, which is broad in perspective and collaborative. And the future doesn't require us as human beings to be robots, but more human than ever before. Wow. It is certainly, um, it, is, it is an eye-opening book, and I thank you for writing it. Where can people get it? The Normal Roots? Yes, um, it's at Exclusive Books, Take A Lot, Loot, uh, Amazon, on Tindall, and uh, I'm also sharing, with the, uh, sharing about it across all my social channels. So if you want to join me on those, I'm continuously sharing different clips about the book on those social channels. As well. Fantastic. John, it's been great to chat to you again. Um, I wish you every success with this book as well, and uh, thank you so much once again for your time and your insights. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Bye-bye.